You are listening to the Bottom Line Podcast, where those living with or beyond bowel cancer, as well as health professionals involved in bowel cancer treatment and care, share their inspirational stories and lived experiences with host and bowel cancer survivor, Stephanie. I never thought that I could have too many bags, but the bag I had for six months after my bowel cancer surgery was one I really did not want. Most people I know are filled with immediate dread and fear when they're faced with the prospect of an ileostomy or colostomy bag. I'm joined today on the Bottom Line podcast with Amanda Richardson, or Mandy, Bowel Cancer Australia's stomal therapy nurse. She's going to help us demystify what it is to have a stoma. Mandy, thank you so much for chatting with us today. My pleasure. We'll get to the fear component because I think that's really important and how people feel about stomas in a moment. But firstly, could you briefly describe for us the role of a stomal therapy nurse? Um, Firstly, uh, being a stoma nurse is the best job I've ever had in my nursing career. Um, That's the first thing to say. Um, And my my role is primarily um, I meet the patient um, pre-op, And sometimes this might be when they've been in the doctor's office, they've just been told the news. And because I'm on site, because I actually work in a hospital where the doctors are on site, sometimes a patient will come down to me shell-shocked because of their diagnosis, frightened about the fact of having a bag. And I actually do just spend a bit of time with them, just allaying some of those fears and talking things through with them. So it's a lot of pre-op education, if you like, and um, a lot of psychological help as well. And another big part of my job is getting the stoma in the right place. And the best way to do that is when a patient is wide awake, usually sitting down because you can see all their natural curves and bumps and lumps to sort out the best place for the bag to, to sit. So that is another part of my job too. When they come into hospital, once they've had their stoma, my job then becomes continues to be an educator. And what I do there is I help them learn to uh, accept what the bag and what's happening, but also to get them to be able to change the bag and discuss their life before the bag and how we can still continue that life, even though they have now got a slightly different way of of opening their bowels. That's sort of basically it. So in in a nutshell, it's pre-op education, a bit of psychological help, sighting in the right place, joining up so that they have the equipment and the right bag and really good follow-up. And that is just ongoing for as long as they need. Why is it the best job you've ever had? The patients I meet, they're very vulnerable. They completely open up to me. I develop the most amazing relationships with them. I find it very humbling. I feel like I do make a difference. I actually feel when I go home from work that I've made a difference, whether it's a tiny little thing or a massive thing. I feel that every day is a bit different. Every patient, as I said, everyone's journey is a bit different. So even after... 16 years, I still get tested sometimes. and I have to really think about what is good for that particular patient. And I think over the years, I've really learned I can sit with somebody and within 15 minutes, I know exactly how I'm going to deal with that person and what I can talk to them about and what I can't. So I still feel I'm learning. It's a pleasure to come in every day. And, and it, it's, yeah, it's a great job. It really is. But I think the main thing is I do go home thinking I've made a difference. And can you then also describe for us what, I think there's confusion, and I know I was confused until I worked for Bowel Cancer Australia, what an ileostomy, a colostomy and a stoma are? 
So a stoma can be either a colostomy or an ileostomy. And the stoma is a Greek word for mouth or opening. So that's where that comes from. So when you look at whether you've got an ileostomy or a colostomy, your ileostomy is, if you think of ileum, which is small bowel, it's a small bowel stoma. Now, these are usually temporary and they're usually it's a loop ileostomy and that, that's given to a patient so that we can preserve where they've been joined up, which I think we will talk about a bit later. Um, and an ileostomy has a drainable bag because the output is never any thicker than toothpaste. So it can be quite watery and they therefore have a bag on that they can open and drain into the bathroom and keep that bag on for a couple of days. Also, it's um, a good opportunity to say that most of our digestion takes part in the small bowel. So that can be, uh, the output can be quite corrosive. So it's really important that we get a good fitting bag that doesn't leak and the liquid stays off of the patient's skin. Um, and they often are a little bit more sticky outy, <laughs> if you like, of the abdomen. They're not quite as flat to the abdomen as a colostomy. When they go home, they become very good friends with me because I, I have a very open door policy where they can come back and see me at any time if they've got any issues. I would definitely see them two weeks after. Sometimes the stoma shrinks. They need a smaller size bag. And that's one of the things that we would have discussed in the post-op period is the type of appliance they want. I used to describe it, and now it sounds funny, it was, it's like a little circumcised penis in a way. <laughs> Yes, it is. It absolutely is. So that's a, that's an ileostomy. Now, a colostomy, if you think of colon, large bowel, colostomy, a colostomy is a large bowel stoma. That can also be temporary for some procedures, but it's more likely to be a permanent um, stoma, particularly if the, if the patient's tumour is encroaching on the sphincters, which I think we'll talk about a bit later as well. And this um, is a more of a flush stoma doesn't stick out quite so much the bag type here would be a closed bag more often than not because what comes out of here tends to be more of a formed motion because if you think the large bowel's job is to take all that water out so that you get from your toothpaste that comes out of the small bowel to your your motion that you pass normally which is more formed so that's the main difference is the, the type of bowel being used and the type of bag that you would use i found that quite confronting i have to say initially when I had my bag, because that runny liquid motion, it is very confronting, I think, for patients initially, isn't it? It absolutely is. And, and you know what I say to some, to, to some of my patients, if I feel it's appropriate to say it to them, um, and I can usually gauge that just by our pre-op chat, is I say, you know what, it's like your bum has been moved from where it sits normally to onto your tummy. So now you're, usually you don't look or see what you're passing and now you are, but that's really what it is. You're, you're, just, you're, you're passing your motion, it's a bit more visible. And the other thing to say is with both colostomy and ileostomy, there are no nerve endings in the bowel. The patient or the, the person, the colostomate or the ileostomate, they do not have any inclination when it's going to work and they have no control. So when we're in a shopping centre and we want to have our bowels open and we don't want to do it in the shopping centre, normally we can, you know, clench and hold until at some point we're, we're able to, to have our bowels open. But these people don't have that. They, they have no control over that at all. Which we'll talk about later because I think that's one of the fears as well when you're first 
faced with a bag. In my capacity as a peer-to-peer -peer support over the years for Bowel Cancer Australia, the most common question from patients is, particularly rectal patients, will it be permanent? Am I going to have it forever? You've touched on that. Can you talk us through whether a patient will require a stoma? And if so, what factors determine whether it's going to be temporary or permanent? So if we think of our large bowel as being into three sections, we've got ascending colon on what on the right side, and we've got the descending on the left, and we've got transverse that runs through the middle. So the, the easiest way to, to, to describe it is the closer a tumour is to the sphincters, the greater the chance of a stoma. That's the first thing. So if you've got a, a tumour in the right side of the bowel, the, your chances of having a stoma are literally, I, wouldn't, I would never say never, but it's practically never. Now, as you come around the bowel and particularly into the sigmoid colon, which is in the descending colon, and you've got a tumour that is near the sphincter, we can do what we call an ultra low anterior resection. So we can take that bit of bowel out and we can staple the ends back together. But what we don't want to do is put any pressure on that. As you, the further into the pelvis you go, the less blood supply. And particularly for men who do not have childbearing hips like us women, you can see less basically. So what the surgeon would do then is he would give you a, pull a loop of small bowel through to defunction the large bowel and then allow that to heal. So that would be a temporary. Now, if it is encroaching on the sphincters, there is no point trying to save any sphincter because what will happen is the patient will be faecally incontinent. So unfortunately, if it's on the, the sphincters or around the sphincters, the surgeon has to remove the uh, anus and the rectum and the, the sigmoid that's affected as well. And the patient will end up with a permanent colostomy and the, the anus is actually sutured as well. So they have a, a quite, a, you know, like a perineum wound as well. Um, as we've gone through, you know, with technique and certainly with robotic laparoscopic, I think we are trying to get a bit better. And, and certainly when I started nursing 100 years ago, colostomies were really, really common because we didn't have the technique that we have now. So our technique is surgical technique is actually getting better, enabling us to do more loop ileostomies than we do colostomies. And the other thing to mention is these days as well, we often try to do our radiotherapy and chemotherapy before we try to take the tumour out, thus shrinking it and giving them a better chance of not having to have everything removed and just having the ultra low. So if we can shrink it away from the sphincters, they'll get the ultra low with a loop ileostomy, which is temporary. How do you determine the placement of the bag? So first it depends on whether it's an ileostomy or colostomy to the side that it's on. But I have to say, I often cite both sides because surgeons like a choice and you, they sometimes they don't know what's going to happen when they go in. But other than that, I'm looking at trying to put it into the rectus muscle, which runs at the front of the abdomen, not the side. A lot of people think that the stoma is going to be on the side of them. It's down the front. It's sort of in line, if you like, or around the area of the belly button. You need to have enough space that you can put a bag on and it's not encroaching onto the belly button. And not so much now because we do a lot of laparoscopic, but when they had the, the wounds as well, you want it away from where the wound site is gonna be. You are looking at lumps and bumps and you wanna make sure that the patient can see the stoma. And you're also looking at any old scars, which might 
um, encroach or um, become a problem with the stoma. And I have to mention as well, some women that have larger breasts, you don't want the breasts uh, obviously going over the stoma. So there are that, that's my job. The, the surgeon has very little to do with that. And I do that with them wide awake. I even, if they want, not everybody does. And again, I assess that when I'm talking to the patient, we would maybe put across and put a bag on so that they can see whether it, they can tuck it in or, because sometimes everybody's got a different size abdomen and a different length. So sometimes it's a bit low and it's, it's rubbing on their thigh and all of that kind of thing. So I can take it a bit higher or a bit lower, but you really have to think, particularly for the permanent stomas, that you have to get it right because they, they can't have it on their belt line. They can tuck the bag into the belt, but the stoma itself has no nerve endings. The bowel has no nerve endings. So you, you can't have anything rubbing on it that you don't, you know, that you're not aware of. So there is a little bit of thought and, and that does take a, lot, a little bit of time as well to make sure that you get it right for the patient. So, yeah, so that's, a bit, that's a very big part of my job. I think for me, I know when I was first um, taken in pre-surgery with my stomal therapy nurse and you know, we sat there and I wore jeans and, you know, jean height can change. As we know, you know, when I was growing up, uh, jeans used to be high-waisted. Then they were right around your pelvic line. Now they're back, now that I'm older, back around my tummy. But I think that's the thing is that I loved wearing jeans, but when I had my bag, I wore elastic-waisted and it did change the way I dressed. Yes. And those really fundamental things that you don't think of can impact your lifestyle, which we will talk a little bit more about. Yeah, but it's interesting because I met a, a very young girl, she's in her 20s, and she had, she's got a permanent stoma, and she wanted to wear, you know, her low jeans and her crop top. So she actually designed bag covers so if she wore leopard skin shoes she'd have a leopard skin bag cover and she had her bag out so she had her own little business of of, of doing that i love that embrace the bag <laughs> that, that is why my job is so amazing it's you know it's humbling actually because the resilience of people is surprising and and amazing actually yeah oh on that mandy i mean not to take away from other cancers but Having a bag is an incredibly big lifestyle change. I was lucky I had a reversal, which we'll touch on further down in the podcast. It's not just an old man at 70 that might be having a bag. You know, you could be a young woman and you may not have been married or had a child or you, you may not be in a, in a relationship. And the bag can change those dynamics. And I think, you know, there aren't a great deal of nurses available. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think we should have more stomal therapy nurses? I think what's very lacking is community stoma nurses. So if you, particularly for people that don't live right in Metro Sydney, I think that, you know, if they don't have access, it can make you feel very lonely I think it can make you feel that, that you are the only person that's going through this and I think if you have a problem with a bag it's not usually just a little thing that can, is actually it actually is big because all of a sudden you may well have been going out and having you know you have a couple of bag leaks your confidence is gone so all of a sudden you don't want to go out you don't want to do those things and if you don't have access to your stoma nurse even to, to sit and talk to your stoma nurse and, and work it through together all of a sudden it just doesn't this is what the feedback I get from my patients is it doesn't seem so quite so bad so I think I think most hospitals have some kind of stomal therapy nurse whether they be part-time or full-time but I think 
we lack them very, very much in the community. If a stoma is temporary, how long do patients have to have their bag and then will there be any additional surgery? Okay, so if they have a temporary stoma, when they get their pathology back and if they have node involvement or they the, the, the surgeon and the oncologist feel they would benefit from some chemotherapy, they will keep that bag for six months. So they'll keep that for the duration of having the chemotherapy. If they have the surgery and they get full clearance and there is no need for chemo, they keep it for two to three months. And to have that reversed, they come into hospital, they basically unpick the stoma that they've sutured. They um, re-suture the bowel that they've opened when they've opened up the stoma and they push it back down and it heals very, very quickly. They'll always have that little reminder. There's always going to be a little scar there, but that often is, is it. And we keep them in hospital for a much shorter time, just wait for the bowel to work and hopefully you know, all good. And I have to say that once you're back, you know, I never thought I'd miss farting, for example. <laughs> I can fart again. <laughs> it's the little things in life, isn't it? <laughs> um, I was told by my surgeon that I would most certainly have a bag for six to nine months to give my wound, as you've said, time to heal. But when he first told me of this and the possibility that it could also be permanent, because until he got in, he wasn't 100% sure and I had rectal cancer. I was so scared. I lay awake at night thinking about the ramifications. And I think the fear of having a bag was somewhat more harrowing for me than the initial cancer diagnosis. I think there's a huge lack of information at that point and education around stomas. How can patients' fears be allayed in this moment? And do you think there needs to be a little bit more attention given to patients in that initial diagnosis? Okay, so I think I think the first thing to bring up is when you go and see a doctor in his rooms, he doesn't have the time. As, as, as and as good as they all are, and I'm not having, I'm not saying this is a bad thing. This is just life as it is for a for a colorectal surgeon who's got you know a busy outpatient and you deliver the news to them, and it, you know the, a lot of them are absolutely in absolute shock. Uh, some of them may have been expecting it, but it's still a bit of a shock. So I, I think. Here, because I'm on site and I can get the patient right away, sit them down and start right from that first minute. What I don't always agree with when people over Google, because then I think that actually they don't always interpret the information correctly. So in a perfect world, it would be lovely that that patient gets a diagnosis by the doctor and the stoma nurse is right there to catch them when they fall bring them and down to the to a quiet room and just start right there and then allaying any fears. Because I, I think you're right. I think that all of a sudden their cancer's almost not forgotten, That's but they're, they're more now focused on the fact of having a bag. And most of the time it actually is temporary. And just, you know, just letting them talk about what their biggest fears of it are but you know the other thing I think is sometimes you can actually I've got some patients on my books who are happy to talk about their experience which I think is what you're you do for BCA and and I think that that also is a really that's great I mean people like you the way you talk about it and the way you know I think that just makes people feel better about you know not this immediate time because it's scary but looking a little bit ahead if you've got sort of a bit of light at the end of the tunnel I think you can you can maybe better t 
take it on board and maybe have a, you know, just not feel so worried. But I think, I mean, realistically, no one is going to go. I've never met anyone in my entire nursing career that's gone, yes, I'll take a bag. Nobody <laughs> does. And it's not anything that anybody really wants. So what our job is as a stoma nurse is to try to make it as good an experience for them as you possibly can in horrible situation. The empowerment for a patient is what's important. If you provide them with the information and the correct information, then they can make those decisions themselves and everyone's unique and they will react differently. However, it's providing them with the information so that then they can assess the situation. And I think that's really important. So there are, as we've discussed, both practical and emotional impacts of having a bag. What are the physical changes you can experience with a bag? Well, you're gonna have scars whether they be, you know, little scars or a a long scar, it depends on what type of surgery you've had. And obviously you've now got a bit of your inside on the outside. (laughs) And not only that, but you, something which is, I mean, it's a very private, intimate thing to have your bowels open. And now all of a sudden it's actually not because it's there for you to see. I think it's, it's a whole of course, the whole body image thing is a bit of self-esteem, a little bit of, I don't want to wear that those clothes and I don't want to wear that. So, you know, they, they're now thinking that they've got to change their whole wardrobe. Is anyone ever going to find them attractive again, particularly if they're um, younger? What guidance do you give patients to navigate around their nutrition and what they can and can't eat? So just with an ileostomy, it's really important to remember that the lumen of the small bowel is obviously smaller than the lumen of the large bowel. So blockages can occur if you don't follow the rules, unfortunately, or if you eat something that you shouldn't. So we actually... I think it's important that uh, anyone with an ileostomy sees uh, a dietitian, and we do try to arrange that here at the hospital so they do get to see the dietitian. But when I see them pre-op, I inform them that things like sweet corn, <laughs> popcorn, anything with pips, um, even the pith of, of an orange, if you eat enough of that, that will go into a ball and block. They can eat meat, just chew it, chew your meat really well, just chew well. Um, little and often maybe eat rather than having a big meal um you know three big meals a day just little and often i think nuts um and grains are probably not the best option for you and certainly with you know apples and pears i just tell them just take the skin off just if you think you've got now got a smaller because you've got the loop ileostomy you've got a smaller area of bowel that's going to be digesting so you just want to make it easy for the bowel don't have make it have to work so hard and also you don't want to have anything that's going to block up and and you know end up with them having a blockage with a colostomy i mean it's the lumen's the same it's just moved a bit higher up so there's not too many diet restrictions I think the other really remarkable thing, and for those that might be going through it in the early stages, I'm, what, eight or nine years reversal now, and my bowels are pretty much back to normal. The only difference would be maybe in the morning I might have to pass my bowels two or three times in the morning as opposed to once. But in general, my bowel is back to normal. I don't have to look out for a toilet everywhere I go. It's quite a remarkable muscle, isn't it? It can relearn. Absolutely. But I think it's important that people realise it doesn't get... It's like any muscle that you don't use for a while. It's a bit saggy and it's a bit needs to be toned up a little bit. There are certain exercises you can do to help tone up the 
the sphincter muscles. And a really good one is put your toes in like a pigeon and lift up your pelvis. So it's like doing your pelvic workout, if you like, but by putting your toes in, you're working on the back muscles more than the front muscles. That can help. But I think people have to understand that it does take a while. You will have frequency and you will have a bit of urgency initially. It can take months for some people. It can be, you know, a year for other people to get back to, to what you're describing now. Everybody's different. And there is a low anterior reception syndrome, which people can be left with sometimes where they do have those symptoms of urgency and, and, and frequency. Things like Metamucil is really good for those patients because it, that's not, it doesn't make you go. It just clumps everything together. So rather than going six times, you might only go three times because it, it clumps it together a bit. So that's another option that um, I sometimes offer my post-closure patients. We were talking about the bag before, and I know that when I had my temporary bag, skin got quite irritated. I've got very sensitive skin. Do you have any tips for people around that? I think sometimes I think less is best. So I provide my patients with a adhesive remover spray and a skin barrier. But sometimes if the skin gets really bad, I'd strip it back to just warm water, clean and dry, put your bag on, less is best. Don't be putting barriers and sprays and all of that kind of thing. So that, that's one. If anyone's got a skin irritation, they should seek advice from their stonewall therapy nurse. I touched on it before, um, you know, in some funny moments, and I think you should have a... Uh, as you said, I think there's a little bit of levity to be had. We should talk about our poo. And I can remember when I was at a shopping centre and my son was about two and a half, three, and he yelled out in the middle of the shopping centre, Mum, you poo and fart in a bag. I was mortified because I thought, what do people think? But I think that is the reality. All of a sudden, you are pooing and farting in a bag. I was always worried that people could hear the bag and also smell the bag. Can you guide us through that now? Have there been changes? But how can people overcome that? Okay, I think smell is, uh, people will, you will not smell it unless you're emptying the bag or changing the bag, or, or unless you have a leak, which we hope that that doesn't happen for you. But a really good tip is to put a mint Tic Tac in your bag. That does actually help with the smell, believe it or not. But also, again, through through um, the Ostomy Associations, you can get stuff that decreases wind and odour as well, little drops you can put in the bag before you put the bag on. So there are things that to help with that. My patients always ask me about, you know, if it farts and can't, they can't control it, how often will that happen? And I say, I always say, look, I cannot 100% guarantee it's never going to happen. And hopefully you have a dog that you can blame it on. But if not, you just maybe have to just think, okay, that's happened. And I just have to, you know, that's a hard one. Because when the patient comes back from, from the theatre, the bag is noisy because the bowel is hyperactive and excited. And it's, you know, they're in there the, the first couple of weeks of having surgery. So it is a bit noisy, but that, oh, I always say to them, that settles down. But you can, I could never say hand on heart that they are not going to fart in public and have no dog to blame it on. I, I could not, I can't, I can't give that guarantee. Oh, and look, I used to blame it on my child. I mean, he's, he's 12 now and still there's nothing funnier than a fart or a poo joke, quite frankly. And my husband's 51 and he's the same. So I don't think that ever goes away for boys. 
<laughs> I felt that my world was slipping away when I had my bag. Um, I had no real emotional support. As you've mentioned before, I didn't feel sexy. I felt very unattractive. I'd gone from, you know, being a very social person to pulling back quite a bit. And it does affect your self-esteem. Well, what sort of things would you suggest to patients if they're feeling like this? I think the associations have, some of them have a stonewall therapy nurse at the association, but I think they also have um, groups. So people can, who've, who've got bags can all meet together as a group. And that's not for everybody, and I understand that. But that does give them the, the, that feeling of not being alone, which I think is very important. But I think, you know, it, they can always be put in touch with someone through their stomachness that maybe is in the same situation. Again, not try not to feel alone. But I think sometimes you have to almost, it's not normal, but you have to kind of almost overplay the fact that it's not going to stop you going out for dinner. It's reinforcing the fact that, yes, it has taken, it has taken a little bit of self-esteem from you, but it, it, don't let it get the better of you is what I always say to my patients. You know, if you can swim with the bag on, you can have a bath with the bag on, you know, you can do all of those things. Um, whether or not you want to wear a bikini or a, or a rashi, that's down to the individual person. But I do try my best to normalise, I don't know if that's the right word, but to try to to remind them of what they were before the bag and I'm not expecting them to go out for lunch and dinner a week after surgery I'm not but I think it's really important for, for us stoma nurses to you know encourage the patient and remind the patient that the social life has not ended it's just different now. The reversal was a much anticipated occasion for me my surgeon even said I've never known anyone who wants to get in and have this reversal more than you but the reality is that your bowel as you've already said doesn't bounce back to your pre-surgery what can people expect with the reversal once it's happened? Well as you've so you're not you're not the only person that would be like that. Everybody's excited and they, they want to bring all their stock back to me as soon as they possibly can. So it is quite an exciting time for people. And I think if they are prepared for the fact that the bowel will be, you know, they'll have a bit of frequency. It, it, it will it will be um, a bit looser because they haven't got as much large bowel to take all that water back. So they probably won't ever have the, the you know, the normal formed stool that they had. It may be just a little bit um sloppier for want of a better word but I think if they're well prepared and, and I sometimes cover that when I see them pre-op before they get their stoma and certainly when they come back to me usually just pre before going and having their reversal that's something that we talk about a lot as well but I, I think if they are well prepared and they know what's coming and they're not expecting it to be you know back to exactly how it was and and, and quite honestly it sometimes it never is. I think the excitement of, of not having the bag, sometimes they, you know, they do get a little bit sort of carried away with how life might be after. So I think it's just being, it's just being well prepared for another new normal. <laughs> <laughs> I've known people who've had a reversal and then reinstated their bag because their bowel is it's just way too debilitating you know i know one girl who was a mum she literally couldn't eat for the whole day just so she could go and pick up her children can you talk us through that situation yes yeah, so i've i've had a couple of patients that have done that do you know what i think it's i think it's about control as awful as having a bag is you have you're in control 
you empty it when you need to empty it, you change it when you need to change it. And really and truly, once you've got over the initial shock of it, most people say it's like getting up in the morning and putting your glasses on. It's just something that you do. So I think for a lot of people, it's that they've gone from that to not having control, quite honestly. And like every time they go out now, they have to look to see where a bathroom is. So they want to go back to what they had because they had more control. That's my understanding of the patients that it's happened to. Um, it's rare, but it, it does it, it does happen. Finally, Mandy, what are the three takeaways that you'd like listeners to take from today's podcast? Well, I think the first thing is it's it's a lifesaver. So having a bag is for most people who have a bag, it's to save their lives. And that's the crux of it. I think secondly, there is always help out there. So if they feel lonely or they feel they feel desperate, they feel they just need, there, there is help out there. And there's stoma nurses, there's Bowel Cancer Australia. There are lots of options that people can go to to, to help. And, and I think thirdly, I think it's really important to remember that everyone's journey is different. So I can sit here and tell you what to expect, what's going to happen, how you're going to feel. But everybody's journey is different. And I think you said a great word, empowerment. I think people have to embrace and, and, and accept that things are different, whether it's for a temporary time or a permanent time. But concentrate on the fact that, you know, you're alive. But yeah, they're my three. Everyone's journey is a, is a bit different and there is always help out there. Mandy, thank you so much. These are such fabulous insights into a world of the ileostomy and the colostomy. I think there is a lot of unknowns out there and it is a scary topic when you're first told about it, but it's so vitally important to people. Thank you for everything you do. Having had a therapy nurse, you know, you are godsends and thank you. And thank you for everything you do at Bowel Cancer Australia, because if you're listening to this, Mandy is available at bowelcanceraustralia.org and can chat to you if you have any concerns at any point. And we're very lucky to have you. As I often say, it may not be the Gucci or the Louis Vuitton bag that I wanted, but it was the most important bag I ever had. So thank you, Mandy, for joining us today on the Bottom Line Podcast. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Bottom Line podcast. To find out more about bowel cancer or for support or simply to donate, please go to bowelcanceraustralia.org.